visiting with us, uh, let me be among the first, at least, to welcome you here and to tell you that we really are glad that you're here. Uh, we're excited that you're here, and we want to do everything we can to help you become part of the family of God here, uh, because this is a good place. Uh, this is a good church to be part of, a good community, a good family to join, and uh, we want you to, to fit in with us. And, uh, and so, you know, if you, uh, if you have any needs, any opportunities that we would have to care for you and to, to love you, uh, we want to know what those are uh, so that we can wrap our arms around you as a community and, and, uh, and be an encouragement to you. But, but, but welcome, all of you. We're glad that you're here. I heard a story years ago about a couple who got divorced. Uh, after many years of marriage, they decided they could not live with each other anymore. And the judge ordered them to divide their assets, but they were both so stubborn that they refused either one of them to move out of the house. And so uh, it could not ever be sold because neither one of them would ever leave. And so one day, one of their mutual friends showed up with a giant two-man logging saw, and he and the husband measured the center point of the house and cut it down the middle all the way around, from the roof peak to the wall, all the way across the floor, up the opposite wall, all the way back to the roof peak. And then the husband had a new foundation poured and had his half of the house relocated to the back of the property and then he and his buddy put up walls and siding over, over the openings in the middle of the house and according to the story this couple lived out their days on on the same property in separate little half houses now, I don't know whether that story is true or not. Uh, it appeared in a book called The Liar's Club, so I think maybe not. But, uh, but I do think that it illustrates what can happen in relationships between people when they let their differences drive them apart. They live... They live out their conviction that they would rather be right than in relationship with someone else. And differences can drive people apart. But what happens is, is that if you allow those differences to predominate and to rule over their desire to have a relationship with that person, to demonstrate love for them in the midst of your differences, then you can very quickly find yourself, maybe not literally, as in this little story, but at least relationally cut off and fresh walls being built, dividing you from one another. And that should never happen. Let me say that again. That should never happen in the body of Christ. We are the people, after all, who have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And the Scripture says over and over and over again that Jesus came not just to make peace between people and God, but between, between various kinds and types of people as well. That, that Jesus' death was to create one new man, the Scripture says in Ephesians, out of a diversity of groups of people so that people from every tribe and language, nation, and group would all worship God together around the throne. That's the picture of the, that you see in glory of, in Revelation of the Lamb seated on the throne and people from every tribe and language and tongue and, and race all gathered together in unity worshiping the living God. And part of the point of the cross is not just to make peace between us and God vertically, but between to make peace between us and us horizontally. That we might have a, a relationship with people who are different from us. And God has made it possible through His love for us, for His love to over, overflow through us to other people. And in fact, if you read Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 15, what you'll see is the thread that ties all of those together is living out a, the command to love your neighbor in various aspects, various kinds of relationships with other people. That in light of what Jesus has done, Romans 1 through 11, now we, in response to that, live a different kind of life down here with everybody else. That, as that one of the results of the gospel is a transformed way of living down here with everybody else. And certainly primary among that among those relationships is the ones within the church that we as members of the body of Christ are supposed to love each other better than everybody outside the walls and there's supposed to be a community that results from a transformed heart that results from the gospel and so there's a lot there's a lot to this uh, and I, I could have taken, I think I could have taken uh, Romans chapter 14 and just one jump and got it all uh, out to us, but I think it's worth spending time for a second week in Romans chapter 14 and looking at the second half of this chapter. Uh, and I want to pick up with us here in uh, uh, Romans chapter 14, beginning verse 13, uh, where Paul gives us some really great instruction on how to live in relationship with each other, how to love one another despite differences that we have. So if you've got your Bible there, beginning in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
So, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, verse 13 begins with the word therefore. It, it is meant to draw our attention to what went before and draw a conclusion from it. And what we've just been reading about for the previous 12 verses is about a conflict between Jewish Christians in the church at Rome and Gentile Christians. Now, these Gentile Christians had come to Christ primarily out of a pagan background. They were bowing down to all of these idols. You know, they went to the temple of Jupiter. They went to the temple of Aphrodite. They went to the temple of Ares. They went to whoever's temple they went to. And, and when they went there, they would sacrifice some animal. And then the priest gets a portion of that. And then out the back door, they would sell the carcass, whatever was left, out in the meat market. And it was very common for Gentile Christians to just go down and be like, okay, well, hey, there's a, uh, there's some, there's a pig hanging. I'm going to have some of that. Uh, let's take it home for dinner. Well, Jewish Christians, of course, were raised and out of their Jewish background. Uh, when they came, they came to Christ, they understood that God had made things clean, but they still had a problem with the source of some of this meat. And they had a problem with certain kinds of it. Because, of course, the source of this meat is a pagan temple. But then in addition to that, all my life as a Jew, I've been taught, you don't eat bacon. Ham is off limits. You don't eat lobsters. You don't eat peacock tongues. You don't eat this stuff, right? Uh, you, you, don't, you don't do these things that the Gentiles do. We're to be distinct as the people of God. And so then you've got Jewish Christians who have decided as a result of the source of all this meat and how they're worried about it to just be like, you know what, I'm going to just be a vegan. I'm, I'm out of the whole meat thing. I'm just done. And, and Gentile Christians who are like, yeah, you know what though? The reality is, is that Jesus declared all food clean and, uh, and Peter, with his vision of the sheet that came down from heaven, remember Acts chapter 10? Sheet comes down, it's got all kinds of animals on it, and Peter hears from, from heaven three different times, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Right? In other words, Peter, kill it and grill it. You can eat it. And he's like, well, I can't eat that. No, yes, you can, because you're under a new covenant. You're not under the Mosaic law anymore, and you can eat whatever you want. And so the Gentile Christians are like, hey, didn't we, weren't we taught this? And weren't we taught that, that when you bow down to an idol, you're not really bowing down to anything that's real, that has real power, that is, these things are not real gods? Well, if that's true, then who cares where the meat comes from? Throw it on the grill and let's eat. And so there's this conflict between these two groups of people, one of whom has intense scruples about eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, and the other of whom is enjoying their freedom in Christ to eat whatever they want. So how are they going to get along in the body of Christ? 
And Paul has been, has been telling them, you need to love each other and you need to respect each other's convictions and not get in arguments and fights over a diversity of convictions about things that are individual to the person and which God accepts people on either side of. And by the way, this has broad application to not just eating meat or not, but to all kinds of other areas of the Christian life where Christians have convictions that differ. I went to a seminary that once upon a time, if you were a student there, you could not drink coffee because it has caffeine in it. Caffeine is a drug. And you're not supposed to do that, right? I don't, wouldn't have got through seminary if that was still the rule. <laughs> okay. They got rid of that sometime, I think, in the, in the 50s. But, um, but you could drink tea, which I'm not sure exactly how that, you know, I'm like, okay, so the dead leaves and water is okay, but the dead beans and water is not. I don't get it. They both have caffeine. Who cares, you know? But... But there, there were people who founded that school who had convictions about that. And there were other people like me who experienced great freedom and joy in drinking their coffee, right? And, um, and so, so how, are, how, how are diverse groups of, of Christians to get along with each other? How are they to, to, to do that? Well, you need to love each other and accept each other as people whom God accepts. And, and he says here, beginning of verse 13, there are some additional conclusions he's drawing out here, some practical conclusions from what he's been teaching. And the first one is that we cannot allow our convictions to become the basis for judgment of one another. That's the first thing he says. Do not pass judgment on each other any longer. Do not pass judgment on each other any longer. I have known Christians who, if you, if, you, um, if you went to the movies, you must not be very spiritual. Well, depending on the movie, that might be true. But, but I'm talking about in general principle. Is it okay to go to the movies? Yeah. You need to be wise about what you take into your soul. But in general principle, is it okay to go? Sure. There's an opportunity for judgment, though, if you have different convictions. I've known Christians who said, well, if you're a Christian, you can't have a tattoo. Well, does the Bible say that? No. Well, where'd you get that? Well, I just don't think that Okay, well, it's fine if you don't want one. Don't get one. But you shouldn't look down your nose at anybody who has one because Jesus gives them freedom to do that. So stop judging each other if you have different conclusions. That's number one. But here's the other one. That you can't allow your convictions to influence someone else in the body of Christ to violate theirs. And if you do, 
then what you're doing is hindering their relationship with God by causing them to stumble. And we want to avoid that. We want to avoid causing somebody else to stumble to encourage them to violate their convictions and come over to ours when they really don't agree. Verse 14, uh, Paul says, Look, I know and I'm convinced that all things are clean. That nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anybody who thinks it is. Now what he's saying there is this. Jesus said that it's not what goes into a man's body that makes him unclean. Because what goes into a man's body goes into his stomach and then whatever's left passes out of his system. And that is not what defiles a person. What defiles a person is not what goes into his mouth, but what comes out of his heart. Because it is out of the heart that comes sin. It's not out of the, it's not out of the digestive tract that sin comes. It's out of the heart, out of the soul of the person. And you need to worry less about food than about the corruption in your soul. And the Scripture says, by this Jesus declared all foods clean. And then also, of course, you have Peter's vision that I mentioned in Acts 10. Uh, and, and Paul is convinced, he says, in the Lord Jesus, that all foods are clean. That nothing is unclean in itself. But if you have scruples about what you should eat, then it is unclean for you. And you shouldn't eat it. If you have a conviction before the Lord, this is not something I should eat, then you shouldn't eat it. Because to go ahead and do so is sin for you. Now look at verse 15 to 17 here. These three verses are tied together. And what they do is they instruct the brother who can eat anything not to do so in a way that... that grieves his brother who has convictions about these things. Love requires that we not flaunt our freedom in front of people who lack it, because doing so can cause the weak person's faith in Jesus to be destroyed, as the goodness of the gospel message gets identified with something that they believe to be wicked. Let me give you a contemporary example here. If you go to a, as a missionary to a Muslim country, you probably should never drink alcohol or eat any kind of pork product. Why? Because Muslims believe that alcohol and pork products are categorically prohibited for them to eat. That to do so violates... Uh, violates the, uh, the law of Allah and you can't do it. And so when they see Christians do that, they think of us not as righteous people who have freedom in Christ to eat what we, and drink what we want, but as wicked people who are disobeying God. Do I have freedom to do it anyway? Yeah. I do, but not at the cost of my gospel witness to them. 
not at the cost of my gospel witness to them. So out of love for them, I'm not going to indulge, even though I have freedom in Christ. And the same principle holds here within the church. In Paul's day, the issue was about food. In our day, we have other issues about which consciences and convictions differ. But in in every case, those of us with freedom should be careful that in our use of it, we don't hinder people who are young in the faith or prevent non-Christians from coming to faith. We do not want to grieve our brothers and our sisters and put a stumbling block between anybody and else and Jesus. We don't want to make it harder, in other words, for someone to pursue their relationship with Christ because of something that we have freedom on that they don't feel that they do. Love, here's the principle of these verses, love always supersedes freedom. Love for the other person always supersedes freedom. And and here's the other principle that's here. Because the kingdom of God is not about food or drink or anything else that we might disagree on, but it's about finding righteousness and peace and joy through faith in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit's power, then we need to keep that as our focus. We've got to keep that as our focus. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing and sacrifice freedom if necessary for the good of the other person that we might not hinder anybody else from drawing closer to Jesus. Amen? I'll gladly give up all my freedoms if it brings somebody else closer to Jesus. That's the idea. That I love them more than I love bacon. Bacon good? Yes. I had some this morning. All right. Okay. But I will never eat bacon again if it means somebody somebody will get closer to Jesus as a result of me not eating it. Verses 18 and 19 are just encouragement, I think, here for us to follow these commands. Verse 18 tells us, if you live your life looking out for yourselves, not for yourself and your freedom, but for the other person's good and for their encouragement to follow Jesus, then you'll not only be serving Christ, look at what it says, whoever serves Christ this way, whoever thus serves Christ, is acceptable to God, you not only get God's approval, but you also are approved by men. In other words, by your life, what you're doing, if you love somebody great enough to sacrifice some of your own freedoms for their good, you not only get God's approval, His applause on that, but you also receive the approval of men because you're well-regarded but other people who are watching. Do other people watch your life? Yes, they do. And they want to know if the gospel is real. Is it real enough to change your life 
in areas that are near and dear to you? If it is, then the gospel is real. And it gives good testimony to them. If it doesn't change your heart in an area where it might require you to give up something you like, then maybe it's not as real to you as you say. And in light of that, we're told in verse 19 to pursue that pathway, to do what creates peace within the body between brothers, and also to do what makes for mutual upbuilding. In other words, what's going to encourage everybody else in their walk with Jesus? That we are not primary. That other people in the body of Christ are primary and we need to look out for them and for their interests and their needs and do what makes for peace. And if that means I've got to sacrifice freedoms that I do in fact have for somebody else's good, then bye-bye freedoms. And not, not in ang- agony and anguish. Like, oh, well, I guess I will if I have to. You know, that's not the idea. The idea is that we joyfully sacrifice for each other that we might do them good. That we might be at peace together. Now, last few verses here just underline and clarify these things a little bit more. Let's read them here. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now here's the important point in these verses. Don't cause your brother to stumble by what you eat and drink. And by the way, you could fill that in with any number of other things which are, are not necessarily matters of right and wrong, but are matters of personal conviction before the Lord. Fill in the blank. And here's what it means to cause your brother to stumble. It means to encourage someone to participate in something that would violate their conscience. When someone violates their convictions, even if that thing is not sin in and of itself, they are sinning because they are doing what they believe God told them not to do. And we want no one else to feel conviction of sin by violating their own conscience. In other words, don't encourage somebody to do that which they feel they shouldn't. You know, if, if, I had a, if I had a Jewish background believer over to my house, or a Muslim background believer over to my house, I'd be very careful about what I served. I'm not saying, I'm not saying hey, brother, I'm glad you're here in town. Uh, you know, what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, we're having spiral sliced ham. It's great. One of those honey baked jobs with a little gooey ring around it. It's fantastic, right? And and they might, out of love for me, go ahead and eat it. And the whole time thinking, 
oh God, I really shouldn't do this. I really shouldn't do this. I really shouldn't do this. But I don't want to offend them. And now I've led them into violating their conscience before God and into committing what they believe to be sin. Is it sin? Not for me. But I'm causing them to stumble. I'm causing them to violate their conscience and do something God has given them a conviction not to do. Don't want to do that. You know, some of us who enjoy our freedom in Christ don't want to enjoy it by ourselves. We want everybody to enjoy it with us. And sometimes in our enthusiasm, we can, in, we can prod people who feel they don't have those same freedoms to join us in ours anyway. And when we do that, what we're doing, look at what the Scripture says. We are destroying God's work in that person's life. And it would be better for us to, as the Scripture says here, keep your mouth shut and keep it between you and God. And enjoy your freedom in your relationship between you and the Lord. And out of love for the other person, not encourage them to do that which would violate their conscience. We don't want them to lead them to do what they believe would be sin. And anything that we do can be sin, even if the Scripture doesn't say this is sin, if we do it after we've decided or concluded or been convicted that God doesn't want us to do that. Right? Like if I had a conviction, I don't, but if I did, that, that God didn't want me to go to the movies... And then I went ahead and went. What would that be? That would be sin. That would be rebellion against something that in my heart I believed God would have me not do. Right? If I had a conviction I wasn't supposed to drink alcohol and then I was at a party and somebody said, here, this champagne is fantastic. You should try it. And I have a conviction in my heart I'm not supposed to do this. And I go ahead and do it. What is that? It's sin. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. And so we don't want to encourage each other to violate our conscience. Because it puts a hindrance between them and God. And so out of love for each other, we need to allow people to have their differences from us. To let them have their convictions and you have yours and everybody walk according to their convictions on these things that are non-moral issues, but that are issues of personal conviction. Does that make sense? hope so. Now, this chapter is a little complicated to explain, which is why I spent two weeks rather than one on it, like I originally planned. But if you're getting the sense that loving each other ought to extend even to controversial areas... And that love for each other ought to rule over your actions in your relationship with other people. Then you're getting the point. God does give people differing convictions in some areas. And some people have more freedom than other people. And that's okay. God works with us as individuals. 
and he takes our background into account. And in your relationship with God, you, you may need a little more restriction. And in someone else's relationship with God, they may need a little more freedom. That's okay. But whatever our convictions are, we allow love to rule in our relationships and we don't insist on our freedom to somebody else's detriment. Instead, what we do is we love each other and respect each other's convictions and we keep ours between ourselves and God so that what we do in the body makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, as the Scripture says. We pursue what makes for peace. So that we can live together as the family of God, as God Himself intended for us to live. It's not hard to understand, really. It's just hard to live out. But God, nevertheless, calls us to love each other well, and to love each other like family, and to not let differences of conviction be the things that drive us apart in relationship with each other that all kinds of people might be welcomed into the body of Christ, that all kinds of people might be people with whom we enjoy relationship, that we might together reflect the unity and diversity of the people of God just as God intended. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it speaks to us clearly and gets even into the nitty-gritty areas of our lives. Father, help us not to judge each other, but to love each other through these areas of differing convictions. Whether it's what we eat and drink, whether it's where we send our kids to school, what kind of, what kind of dress we have, what kind of entertainment choices we make. Father, help us to love each other and extend grace to each other because You extended love and grace to us. And Father, we thank You for this passage and its encouragement to love each other well in the body. In Jesus' name, Amen.